Welcome. This is Jeff Kober with a Disney on Parade podcast, and we are glad to have you here with all the craziness of this election season and with the pandemic and everything. I think we're all overdue for a good cruise. However, that may not be quite as quick in coming. And so we're going to talk about uh, the fact that Disney has announced that it is not going to cruise for 20 and not begin until 21 and uh, and talk about the implications of that and what does it mean when they do open? What is that going to look like? We're going to talk about that this in this podcast and to do so, I couldn't think of anybody better to make this come alive for all of us than David Zanola. So David, good to have you here this evening. Thank you for having me, sir. I am uh, glad to be back after my long hiatus. I've always wanted to use that word, and now I get to. Um, the uh, no, we're glad to. Ha- we are so glad to have you. Um, and I have to. So let's start, if we can, um, with just simply understanding uh, what has happened. On the 1st of November, the CDC allowed the ban on cruise ships operating to expire. Mm-hmm. So technically, they can go back into the cruise ship business. However, the CDC has also identified certain criteria. And not only does the do cruise ships have to meet that criteria, but they also have to... Um, uh, they also have to go and... Uh, look at the pandemic as it is and and really kind of see where can they best come back into the marketplace. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, most of the cruise uh, industry said, yeah, we're not going to go cruise between now and the end of the year. And about a day after Disney announced that it too would not be doing any more cruises between now and the end of the year, which is about between now and and January 1st, that's about 40 cruises that Disney's taking off the plate. And um and and it and and Disney gets a great um return on selling cruise um vacations during the holiday period. So this is a lot of money that they're going to lose by not being able to to do this during this time period. And there are a lot of people out there who really would like to go on a cruise right now. So from your point of view, um, operating uh, your travel agency, what are you seeing and what are you hearing among those that you, that typically book cruises and what, what's your perspective on this, David? Well, I think that the important thing to to note, Jeff, about the announcement uh, by the CDC uh, this this past weekend, uh, the over over Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. was the phrase "conditional sailing order." Right? Everybody mm-hmm. heard the CDC has lifted their order, uh, and uh, when we were talking off air before we started, I kind of equated it to the presidential election. So we're actually recording on um, election day, twenty twenty. And while a president uh, will be elected or should be elected uh, tonight, that doesn't mean that he will actually take over the the office officially until January. So, yes, it's president-elect, but there's still a lot of work to be done before he then takes power or continues power. 
And what's important to know about that is, yes, there's a the the general no sailing order has been lifted, but the conditional sailing order lays out what they call uh, the CDC basically called it a framework for conditional sailing, which kind of set a whole bunch of uh, paths in their place that they had to go through before they could allow passengers. So even when this came out, those of us in the travel industry knew this was more of really just a, uh, we are moving in the right direction, uh, assuming that that things pandemic-wise can get under control. And it would start with uh, cruises that would involve, their training that would involve the staff on these cruise ships, and that it would involve uh, cruises only involving crew to kind of test out all the new processes and protocols and everything that would have to be used. And then if at that point they felt comfortable as a cruise line and they could demonstrate that they could keep a, a high level, right, almost an impenetrable level of safety or uh, of an ability to probably more likely stop an outbreak from happening if a case is found on board in those um, early few few months of cruising, that uh, they 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 show that they know how to contain that, and that obviously changes a lot about the cruise ship itself and how you deal with people. So then, shortly after that, uh, CLIA, which is uh, the acronym for uh, like the largest cruise line um, industry. Uh, mm-hmm organization in the in the country in the world really basically said uh we're just going to voluntarily put a pause on things through the end of the year disney was actually the last to announce royal caribbean celebrity carnival uh norwegian had all announced earlier and it was just a matter of time uh, before disney announced so at the earliest and we want to make sure that people listening understand we are not suggesting that you can step foot on a cruise ship january 1st but that's the earliest right now that that could happen. And my expectations is it might actually be a little longer than that. Uh, I don't know that they want to mess with, I don't know if I were running a cruise line, I would want to mess with starting sailing in the winter months when you have people traveling from colder climates uh, where you're more likely to transmit viruses due to congestion and sneezing and runny noses and all that kind of stuff. But who knows? Um, All we know is that guaranteed it's not going to happen until at least January. And, you know, back in March, I think a lot of us were thinking maybe this lasts a couple of months and things would be good. And here we are in November. So predicting is not really a good game anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple of things uh, in tandem with that, David, I think you've you've articulated those things very well. A couple of things uh, that come to mind. First off, we all know that at the beginning of COVID-19, the cruise, many cruise ships were the poster child for the pandemic and all that was not going well um, with the spread of the pandemic. I mean, they just it just looked, it was a bad image. And I don't think any organization wants to have that quote, end quote, bad image. They don't want to be the first reported. Second, we also know that when it came to opening theme parks, Disney did not get first out of the gate. They took a, a measured amount of time to get where they um and, and didn't seem to be in a hurry to be the first. So that was the second notion in play. However, I want to counter all of that and say, and, and you and I have both been on other cruise lines, and I think we are advocates of the fact that if anybody ought to be able to do this really well, it's Disney. Disney already had my total respect. Disney's always played against 
against the safety thing. But Disney has always played really well with maintaining a clean, orderly ship experience before anything, before anybody ever knew the word COVID. So, um, so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's that big a jump for them to come back into this. In fact, many measures were already in place when they were closing out the last um, cruises prior to uh, everything shutting down. So thoughts on that? Well, yeah, and I think it is important to note for context, too, that this wouldn't necessarily be the first time that cruise lines have had to deal with protecting themselves from um, outbreaks of viruses, right? The biggest one you, you hear of is kind of the uh, the forbidden word in cruising, which is the norovirus, yeah. which is basically just a really nasty stomach bug that transmits very easily. But and I'm not gonna gonna sit here and suggest that that's the only reason that cruise ships really try to make sure things are clean. But it's definitely one of the biggest because yeah. there are so many um, uh, frequent touch points on cruise ships, railings, elevator buttons. You know, I mean, every, you walk. Think about if you've ever been on a cruise, just close your eyes and walk through. Five minutes, just for five minutes, walk yourself, pretend through a cruise ship and think about how many things you touch. And so when that stomach bug, the norovirus would would spread and you would hear about outbreaks of it on ships. I think the concern there was that that did just transmit through touch where uh, it appears uh, based on the scientific evidence that we have at this point in early November that uh, the coronavirus does have some level of uh, contagious um, effect through, uh, through airborne particles. And so then you open up an entire other can of worms in terms of how that could be transmitted on a cruise ship. It's not only wash your hands, make sure you don't touch stuff, but how close you are to other people and where they were uh, starts to become very problematic. So cruise lines do have a little bit of a leg up on some other industries it never really had to plan for this i mean restaurants for example you know would have had to plan for food uh, you know foodborne contamination issues but you follow very strict protocols and you're going to have a pretty high success rate uh, they did not have to have to prepare ever for what if there's a global pandemic and we don't know if we can dine inside or outside what do our preparers wear so to that respect i think that's a good point is cruise lines already know a little bit about this. I just think it's, it's uh, in the words of Smith's Spinal Tap, this is turning it up to 11. <laughs> so what we wanted to do this, this podcast is to actually go through six different aspects of the cruise experience and consider what is Disney going to probably have to do in order to make this a, a COVID-free, as much as possible, a COVID-free experience. And the first of these six points uh, is, is just simply the embarkation process. So share with us, David, your initial thoughts about what is going to happen in embarkation and that port um, departure experience. What is Disney going to have to do differently than it's um, currently uh, done before? Yeah, so when it comes to the embarkation, the arrival and, and embarkation experience, I think we already know a little bit uh, by some safety boards and committees that have kind of let slip what things cruise lines in general are thinking of. But when it comes to Disney, if you've never been on a Disney cruise, what happens is 
when you uh, go ahead and actually check in for your cruise, when your check-in window opens, you are eligible to pick a port arrival time. It's a, a small chunk of time that says, you know, arrive to Port Canaveral in Florida at this time. And the key, though, is they've never enforced those. It was basically a, we're hoping that people will pay attention to these, and we're assuming that more people will than won't. And so, uh, you know, you may have a port arrival time of 11 to 11.30 in the morning. You don't have to show up till 3, or you can have an arrival time of 2, and you don't. You can show up at 10.30 if you want. They never really enforced those, but what that leads to is, in some cases, a lot of bottlenecks of everybody getting their luggage out at once and a long line checking passports to get in and then going through the security checkpoint before you actually get into the terminal and then the lines where you go to check in and get your picture taken and get your um, you know, key to the world for the ship and all of those other things. Just that process, I think it's going to be an absolute must. And I, I think that they've already said that this will have to happen. Uh, so this isn't prognosticating as much as they need to enforce those times. And I think they will be spaced out a lot more detailed. And the nice thing is Disney fans are used to that with fast passes. Um, so hopefully they can enforce those. But there's a lot of places where you're just kind of hanging around with a lot of other people waiting and waiting until they call your boarding group. Because even if you show up early, you still might get boarding group 30 and you could have an hour and a half wait or so to get on the ship and everybody's just sitting around. And then well, the sitting days, around may mean you're staying in your car. You know, it, you may it, not it, even it be could allowed be correct. to be pulled in until then. Well, um, but that's true for cars. That creates quite a wrinkle if you're using... Um, a transfer by Disney or a third-party transfer, which complicates things. If you're fortunate enough that you can drive, but the, I don't know that there are a lot of people that, that I, I guess I don't know for certain, but I think that I see many more people take the Disney transfers or private transportation than I do drive their own cars. And so that's something they'll have to schedule much tighter as well. Yeah, but I would also say that a, a, a Disney well, Disney Motor Coach is going to have to honor its arrival time. Right. But right. all the same said and done, that same motor coach can go a lot slower down the beach line to get to where it needs to be. And yeah. and it yeah. could be asked to be a little bit more specifically on detail. Uh, uh, several European nation states, as I understand it, David, are considering situ scenarios where you might be getting COVID tested and be given some kind of card that showed mm -hmm. that you had been tested and that you were negative uh, right. within a certain time period, like 14 days or something of that nature. Do you, yeah. do you think that's a possibility here? Uh, beyond well, the I, fever check, I'm sure the fever check's going to happen, but beyond sure. that, do you think it's a possibility that there might be that kind of, you show me a letter? Well, I think what's going to be interesting about that is a couple of variables, and obviously we're getting into the epidemiology and you know science of of, of testing here. And I'm in no means an expert. I'm just telling you what I've read. Um, being uh, a person with uh, undiagnosed anxiety, I assume, <laughs> looking at how all of this stuff works. And uh, if you think about something like this, uh, so our where I work uh, was doing uh, COVID tests, basically just to make sure that as many people in our employee community were tested, even if we didn't have symptoms. And so I went, uh, had a test done, and I had an email within an hour and a half that said I yeah. was negative, Same. good to go. However, 
that rapid test is not one of the types of tests that some international destinations are allowing as evidence that you are COVID, COVID negative COVID tested. For example, Jamaica is one of those. And so I think that's a that's a variable that I really think that all the cruise industry is going to have to deal with is what tests are they going to trust? And can a rapid test done that turns around in, in, a, in an hour, how reliable is that? And it's November that we're recording this. Who knows what advancements in technology and, and, and testing yeah. uh, validity could be done by then. But I absolutely think that's a possibility is I don't even know, to be honest, that they're going to if I were running a cruise line. I don't know that I would trust anybody else's tests or documents. I would say you will be arriving two hours before your check-in and we will do a rapid test and section you off. And if you pass, you're, you're on. And if you don't, you don't. And I would trust the control of that, that I'm doing that all in-house and there's not any worry of somebody else dropping the ball somewhere else. Um, especially because at the early parts of the pandemic, there were issues with tests being lost and, uh, you know, tests that were not uh, properly being processed. So they were giving off false negatives or false positives. And yeah. so now we're not there. I think we're much better than we were when that was happening back in what, June or July. But if I'm Disney specifically, I don't know that I wouldn't want to keep that as close to home as I as I could. Hear you on that. Anything else on the embarkation? Process? Yeah, I actually wonder um, if, and this is tr complete hypothesizing. I I wonder if they're gonna move leaving later to give them more time instead of pulling out a port at four o'clock or so. It's certainly reasonable. Um, you don't really have to be out the gate by then, right? Um, you, you can you can you could certainly slide it back. Um, the other aspect of that was um, the same thing. Could the same thing be occurring when you return to port? Yes, that, that's actually and what I was sliding that as well to a longer period of time. Well, um, and, and enforcing those times more. Our family was always one that we would always have main dining because we have small kids. So technically, you know, we're supposed to be down at breakfast at 6.45 in the morning or 7 in the morning. Something yeah. something very, something much earlier when our kids have been up in the kids' clubs late. They've been sobbing. They wake up crying because they don't want to leave. You know, most of your luggage is already gone. That's not fun to have to then say, let's go down and eat at 7 and go. So we would always go to the buffet and kind of straggle around um, until we basically were forced off of the ship. I, I, I think that's a thing of the past, at least in the early going, is there will be very definitive, you are in this group and you are off the ship at this time, because that's how Disney did it. But a cruise ship like Norwegian, for example, you got a specific group of when you departed, and there would be signs and announcements made both digitally on, on uh, you know, uh, uh, digitally on monitors and over the loudspeakers of whether your group was now ready to debark the ship based on when they were getting luggage off. So. I think both of those things, imagine what kind of a spacing uh, wonder you could make by just adding an hour each way, leaving yeah. an hour later and getting people off an hour earlier as that, that crew has to turn that ship over. Also, I'm, I'm going to assume that it's only going to be a fraction of what that full capacity of the ship is. Yeah, that's so true. It won't, it, you'll have more space and more, t and more uh less people to process through that. I'll just say one more thing and then we'll move on to the next one. Um, handling your luggage. 
is another scenario that maybe more of an expectation is going to be made on you to handle your luggage, not just turn it over at the port to have delivered into your room. And what would that look like? Um, yeah. So I think that's an issue as well. Now, I want to talk uh, a little bit about dining. And, and I, I was considering a question that was asked on another podcast, which was, what's your favorite restaurant? And, uh, you know, clearly something like going to um, uh, Paolo or Remy is, is definitely up there. But in terms of emotional connection to the cruise experience, I have to say, and maybe, and maybe you agree, disagree, David, I have to say going to Cabanas on day one of lunch is an emotive experience. It feels like the moment you have arrived on your cruise. More yeah. oh, than yeah, that it's announcement our... when you get into the atrium. It's somehow getting to that, to that cabana's experience at yeah. the beginning. Agree, disagree? Yeah, that's actually, I, I think we've talked about before with our family that that's probably one of our, um, one of our favorite, one, one of our favorite things um, is that first meal at cabana's. Just because I think, like you said, it's the first, like for our family, it's the first it's the first time and maybe one of the last times until dinner that we're actually all together um, because uh, our kids being a little older now have the flexibility to kind of roam the ship on their own. At least they Either did pre-COVID. Um, and so we would eat that meal together and then it would be, a, all right, we've got all of our devices and we're all linked so we can message each other and we're off. And so it was kind of just a, we're on vacation. And that's really one of the last times that you're probably going to have good uh, cell signal uh, before you leave. So it's a, you know, call home and all of those different experiences of uh, we're on the Disney ship. This is real. We can eat, you know, ourselves into gluttony if we desire. And oh my goodness, we're actually on a cruise. No, that's a, it sounds silly, but it's a, it's a powerful experience. So we'll see what happens with buffets. And nice thing is, is a lot of those things um, they were already set up to basically, they could just flip those covers and they could serve you if they needed to. And I would assume that's, that's what format those will take. So clearly the, the first thing off the, off the table is Cabanas is a traditional buffet experience. That's not going to occur. Um, that doesn't mean that you couldn't maybe go into a line where they serve you as you go through. That's a possibility, and in fact, I've seen that occur in um, in that in Cabanas. I think they were doing that at the time they kind of closed out. Uh, the last week or two, they were serving guests as they were coming through. Mm. So, um, and I've shown this picture in another uh, podcast. Um, one of the things they already had in place was this. A concept when they were when it was just a standard buffet of changing out the tongs and serving spoons every thirty minutes to prevent that spread of norovirus um, on the ship. That's one of the high levels of of cleanliness that Disney pays attention to is changing those things out. So I don't think they are going to have a problem. I think there's still going to be something of that experience, but it's going to be asking for someone to to dish it up for you less of my my daughter loves the crab legs on that first meal at cabanas and 
not sure crab legs are going to live. I think they're going to be items that are a little bit easier, you know, not as, as touch, you know, mm-hmm. not as, you know, some items you're going to want to use a spoon and spoon and fork for more than pick it up with your hands kind of um, foods. But I think that's kind of where Cabanas is going. Is it possible for the dinner experience, rather than doing two seatings, is it possible to move you move out a third seating in some way to start a little sooner and a little later, have a little shorter turnaround time? What do you what do you think on that, David? Yeah, I think that would all have to be. It would take away some of the relaxing feel of cruising where now if your family really like to kind of eat slow and just relax and take your time, you could. And if you were in the first seating, eventually they're gonna push you out. But really, you know, your servers have a certain number of tables, probably four or five tables at each rotation, maybe even less. Um, And so not all tables are gonna sit there and just hang out. And so if you're done and your, your, your family kind of just lounges for a bit, they can always be setting their other tables uh, but uh, man, right now, first seating is typically 545. Um, second seating is 815. I mean, I suppose you could easily, uh, easily, I suppose you could do a 515. You could do a, what, a 630 and then an eight. I mean, you could, but I think what happens then is uh, the menus will probably be tightened up a bit. So you don't have as much selection. It might not take as long. Not that it takes long to get food anyway, right? They're all being, you know, produced, not in mass necessarily, and, but and I'll get to enter- bunches. I'll get to entertainment later because what what um, is back to back to these two dining times is two runs of the show or the theatrical yeah. show on stage. So I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But I just wonder, even going, if you think about Disney's reservation apps, is it possible you could be asking for a certain seating time? And is it possible that your app on board, the ship, could be sending you a signal, we're ready to seat you now? Yeah. Um, as opposed to saying, show, because one of the problems was, is you'd have a set aside seating time, like 730 or whatever the second seating time was. And so you'd have this long line of people stretched out trying to be seated at that moment. So could they mix up those seating so that you're not having everybody descend at one moment, but rather that you have 10% of the restaurant uh, coming in every 15 minutes or something of that nature. So I see that as, as some possibilities, realities. I also don't think you're going to be getting your own ice cream on uh, on the yeah. top deck of the ship, yeah. <laughs> or or your own soda, or your own soda, which or has always been a which has always been a. It sounds silly, but it's been a very big selling point for Disney because all other cruise lines charge you for a soda package, and even though it's not a massive amount of money to be able to tell someone, oh no no no, it, it, with it's it's free on Disney Cruise Line, you can just go. I mean, for me. Uh, so I'm a type one diabetic, and I oftentimes, if my blood sugar drops in the middle of the night, I will take, I will just get up very quietly and leave, and I might go late, maybe not exactly in the middle of the night, um, but late, I'll just get up and throw my sandals on and walk down and you know grab something to to drink because those to things are on them. pretty much all the time, 
And so I, I can't imagine that happens, right? So at least not not initially. Uh, your kids have done the full range of kids clubs, just about. I haven't done. I don't think you have anybody in the nineteen twenty one club yet, but just about everything else. Tell us what you think is that the whole kid club experience is going to be like moving forward. Um, so as I was thinking ahead of time about what this could what this could do to kids clubs, I think that um, probably the biggest change I would anticipate um, is going to be scheduled like almost sessions more. So uh, how the kids club works for those of you who have never been on a cruise, because I don't know if people have been on a Disney cruise, is if you're a child six months to three years of age, you are in the nursery and uh, the nursery um, has scheduled time. So you basically have to book chunks where your child is in the nursery. You can only book a certain number of hours before you get on board. And then as of like the first night, once everybody has come on and gotten their dibs at their allotted time, then you can add more for the rest of the week based on availability, right? But the nursery is very small. The kids clubs from three years old until 17, basically, is just kind of open season. And they know that those kids clubs can handle as many kids as are on the cruise and they don't ever have to worry about turning a child away. I can foresee that going to a more scheduled system uh, where there is, you know, if you want your child to go, you've got to sign them up for the Marvel superheroes experience uh, at two o'clock on day two. And if you want them to go to Pluto's pajama party on Thursday night, that you have to sign them up ahead of time for that. Similar to getting to a Disney character similar to getting to a Disney character experience, signing up in Correct. advance of the cruise yep. to see yep. the three princesses in the age. I just don't know how you can control control crowds and numbers without that, because in those places, the kids aren't running wild by any means. I mean, they are, there's, there's cast members everywhere. You're not going unseen. And they even have, you know, trackers that like radio frequency um, antenna that are, that are above all over on the ceiling. If you look up, you'll see the little antenna dropping down. And so they can tell you when you check in to get your kid, what room your child is in. Um, and so there, but there's a lot of kids running around and everybody's just kind of touching everything. And I think that becomes problematic. I think that uh, the areas where you can dress up and put on costumes, probably a thing of the past, at least for a while. Uh, I think that all of the electronics that they have, all of the video games and the iPads and all this other stuff, I think those are probably a thing of the past, um, at least for a while. I just, I, I think the kids club experience is going to be the most Modified. altered out of the entire experience. And I think that's, that's, that's uh, not a good sign, at least in the early days for Disney cruising, because that is that uh, and entertainment are where Disney shines above everybody else. I, I think you're right, David. I think they're going to have to figure out how to extend those kids clubs hours and to limit your time. So I, I think you're right about signing up, but that sign up isn't a, I'm going to spend, I'm going to get there at nine and be there till noon. It's going to be nine to 1030. And then the next group's coming in from 1030 to noon. And I think you're going to have a more concise time, a, a shorter time. You're going to have more available. It's going to be spread out more availability. I think they'll use some facilities that maybe they're not necessarily using. Try to get more things up, uh, maybe on the fourth floor um, uh, uh, shuffleboard deck, whatever we call that, 
um, you know, other outdoor places where you can get, where you can kind of spread out youth or spread out activities so you can include more youth as you go through that. Um, well, and you know, one thing you could also do, and I know it's been a while since you've had kids in the, in, in the club, but uh, during the day, so there's basically two types of programming in the, in the kids clubs. One of them is called secured programming. So uh, a parents or adults are not allowed in during those times um, mm -hmm. for any reason other than to pick up your child. Both parents or guardians cannot go in one right. parent at a time. And I can't stay there. Like you can't even take pictures inside during secure programming. Right. Um, so I can't stay there and watch, you know, little, little Julie play and take pictures like that. That's not allowed when they have time for that is what they call open house. And there's typically quite right. a few of those every day where it's it's not secured, there's not very much staff in there and the kids and the parents can go in, like that's the point, the kid can cannot come in and be left, they have to be with an adult. I can see the, the meeting in the middle of maybe less of those happening yeah. to extend um, some, of that, some of that secured programming. I think you're right. Um, let me, I think for, in terms of the entertainment on the cruise ship, I think we can follow many of the cues that we see already in the Disney theme parks. So you take a show, a theatrical show, like they have every evening. Clearly, they're going to want to distant, uh, di put distance between families uh, or parties. They're going to want to put rows, empty rows between parties. Um, and so I... I can't help but wonder just doing that again, less people on the ship coming on, but is it possible for them to maybe be doing an afternoon yeah. uh, show? You know, that's not, that's not an unrealistic thing to maybe a matinee, shows yeah. instead, a matinee show instead of, uh, instead of two evening shows, uh, which honestly in on some days I wouldn't mind going to the matinee show because it freed me up to do other things later in the right. evening. Well, and then um, and then crowd disbursement wise, it would also take those people. And those theaters are big. Um, it would also then take those people away and put them in a you know take them out of the pools and the kids yes. clubs and and the whatever else. So you have an ability, especially if you're managing almost with a fast pass system, just like you know they they try to control where crowds are using fast passes. Make no mistake. Mm -hmm. doing that on a cruise ship. All right. So you have a reservation for this show. That's where you are, which means if you are reserving the matinee show, you are not eligible to drop your kid in the kids club or, you know, to participate in whatever this might be. Now, again, that takes away the relaxing, do whatever attitude of a cruise, but something like that may be necessary to, to get moving sooner rather than later. I, I, I think you're correct on that. Um, so now, and I think other things like character meet and greets, obviously they're going to be, you know, see the princess from the balcony or something, you know, off the stairwell and, and as she waves to you and you take photos of her, I'm not so certain that we're going to have those stage shows that are up on the top balcony. Um, I think that, um, there may still be movies on the funnel vision, but, uh, there's, the, those patio chairs are all going to be a lot more spaced in between. Um, and and something like Pirate Night and Fireworks may just simply be not happening. Yeah, at um, least in the early, at least for early sailings. I think so. Just And, and just in terms of containing their costs and so forth. I think right. those kinds of events, uh, 
uh, are going to be a, a reality with the entertainment. Dump the diaper dash, which is <laughs> my favorite thing to see. It's the diaper dash, you know. Um, but uh, but I think I think they're going to follow a lot of the same kinds of protocols and things that you are currently seeing in the parks in terms of entertainment. Where I think all of this gets really tricky is offshore excursions. Off, sorry, offshore, off, offshore excursions. A, if they even have any, and B, if they do, what do they look like? And and I want to back up to this. It seems to me, David, that if there's only a small percentage, or if there is a significantly smaller percentage. Who are going to be on these cruises in the first months after they reopen. And if they allow in bookings, which they typically do, for your platinum and then your gold and silver or whatever that order is to book, I think the larger majority of people who are going to be on a cruise ship in the first months to come are people who have been on a lot of uh, a lot of um, trips before. I don't think you're going to see a lot of newcomers taking a cruise in the first months to come. And why, And the reason I say this is because if you think about that market, they want the experience of being on a Disney cruise ship. They could care less about Nassau. Yeah. Not to say that NASA couldn't put a bubble around it if they reconfigured. They've got a mall nearby. They've got that marketplace. If they were to do some things, they could put a big bubble around it. In, in Jamaica, you know, there are two ports. And the one that Disney's been using more recently is the one that really already has a sort of bubble. It's uh -huh. a big shopping area. And they can sit just in that. Yeah as opposed to Kingston and, and, and they could all, although there is a kind of a adjoining shopping area in the Kingston one, but, but you really could bubble up that sector if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, other than that. And I don't, and by the way, I don't think all four cruise ships are going to be operating out, out the gate. I would say they'll be lucky to have a couple in the first couple of months running. Because I don't think anybody's going to be running next spring up and down the Cal, Cal is going to be able to dock in San Diego, which is where the wonder goes in the springtime, because California isn't going to permit you to come. And um, and so d d does it mean that that you might have possibilities in Galveston as a port and as um, uh, the keys? Um, What's the? I'm Floridian. I can't remember the name of the last town in on the Florida Keys, um, Key West. That Key West couldn't be a possible destination. But honestly, I think most people who take the cruises in their first few months are going to be happy with a day at sea. And if you are only running two ships, you could be running a. You could be running more. Um, double day, um, what do we call it? Double days at Castaway double Key. Double dips. Double dips. You could be running more double dips at Castaway yeah. Key 
and um, and utilizing that bubble, which is the ultimate of all bubbles, um, as as the answer. Um, agree, disagree. What are your thoughts on? Yeah, no. Well, actually, the the conditional sailing order mentions that no cruises will be allowed initially longer than seven days. I even think that's too long. I think we're going to see three nights come back first for two reasons. First of all, as you said, you're not going to want to go to any other international ports. And I don't know what international ports are going to want people coming. Um, I mean, to be really honest with you, you know, when you have all the other countries that uh, that let cruise ships in, I, even though they're being crushed by this tourism, I think the other concerns might might overpower that. But I also think that um, you then have less issues with people potentially being on a ship together and you're instead of a seven day cruise, a three day cruise, you've cut your 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 possible exposure and close proximity time more than in half. Right. And so I think that 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 becomes important. I do think that only allowing official excursions and not just allowing people to roam. Oh, definitely. I think will definitely, but I, I think that will definitely hurt the industry, at least in the early stages. Um, because I think for returning cruisers, because I think returning cruisers, once you get experience and you get your, this is a pun intended, when you get your sea legs, you're much more comfortable saying, I'm not going to go on an excursion. I'm just going to go like our family goes into Cozumel and we just explore. We're off the ship for three or four hours. We have a little a little restaurant that we go to that mm-hmm. only typically the locals know about back and, mm-hmm. you know, off in the distance. And we, we go there, we do some shopping and we come back and we don't, we don't do an official excursion. Cutting those down. I definitely um, think that's, that's tricky. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I could, I, well, honestly, Cozumel has been opening up to people flying in and out their resorts out there on the mainland. Uh, have been operating um, throughout this whole time period. So I think Cosmel could open. I think Kingston, not sure. Uh, uh, Jamaica is is a big question, but if you just bubbled up there, possibly. Um, but I think really the most of the sailings that are going to take place, if anything is going to take place, is just going to be out to sea and Castaway Key. Um, and not a whole lot more than that um, is my guess, my guess on the off, offshore excursions. And whatever does happen is going to be only an official excursion. Now, we did talk about double dipping. So let's let's end with a conversation about the beloved Castaway Key. Um, how that is already the ultimate bubble. Yeah. What else might need to happen in order to make that um, a doable experience? Well, I think that, I mean, obviously the food there, you're going to have to change because right now, actually, a lot of those things, like all the the burgers and hot dogs and stuff, those are served to you by staff. But I think that'll all have to be crew served, just like in the the buffets on the ship. I wonder if because this would actually help them financially as well. I wonder if they add more private cabanas. I wonder if there's a place where they can add more cabanas where you know you have your own little private spot and you can just sit and hang out by yourself. It makes money. It's it's uh, it's security. Um, so anyway, it's 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 wow. very interesting what they will do to that. And the only other say, thing, if you could get some makeshift tents, with right. that, you know, you could run some ventilation into and so forth. 
they they tried it in Tomorrowland for a while, right? Um, <laughs> so they probably got those just laying around. Why not? They're probably. But uh, I mean, I mean, I guess conceivably you could kind of section off a beach and say, you know, if you're, you know, you're a you're a red group, you're a blue group, you're a green group, green group, and this is the the beach portion you go to. Uh, who knows? I mean, really, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I I think you know they're not running courtesy trams in the parking lots at the Disney parks. I wonder if they'll run that courtesy tram. You know, what oh, if you yeah. had to walk the island to get to, <laughs> is it Soliloquy Bay, <laughs> the adult section? Um, my goodness, that would be a quiet corner of, <laughs> of the experience if you had to walk the whole thing. I don't know about that, but but um, but if they did run it, then they're going to have to kind of scrub them down between runs. So, you know, there's some, some really interesting issues to have to deal with. I, they bring in folks from the other islands to help sell merchandise in those little um, little merchant shops there at Castaway Key. I think those aren't going to be available. I think, again, to preserve the bubble. Um, it'll, it'll be an interesting notion. Tell me, David, when you think about going on a cruise, I mean, we've gone through all these kinds of conditions. I'm not going to ask you uh, would you go or not, but I do want to know what is it you miss most about the cruise. What is the one event experience that makes you want to say, boy, I wish I was on that cruise line? We really, really enjoy the dining experience on the Disney cruise. We enjoy evening rotational dining. Uh, my wife and I have been to Palo, but not very often. And it's not that we didn't think the food was great. We loved it, but we, this is nerdy. But we really enjoy building relationships with that serving staff in mm. those in, in those dining rooms and having our family together and getting to try the different foods and actually because I mean you know the pandemic has been a different story but typically as our kids get older um, we do sit down around the table and try to for every single meal but as they get older that'll get harder and on a cruise ship that's a non-negotiable for us is the entire family is around for dinner no matter what you do for the rest of the day. And so we really miss that experience. Obviously, there's a bunch of the other stuff, the entertainment, the activities, um, but uh, we're we're definitely that's what I think we're missing. What about you? Well, it's funny you say that because um, I and I am looking this up right now. If you can if you can find this um, on YouTube, and I want to be careful, uh, but. Um, I want to know if you could find music to Cabanas, not because I'm looking forward to the uh, uh, to Disney Cruise Line Cabanas. The reason uh, I say that is because I, I swim laps every day, and um, and so I'm in a pool every day. But I was I was swimming today, and I heard a song, and I thought, oh, I hear this song when I'm at Cabanas and it just brought me immediately back to that place. And I, it isn't Cabanas necessarily that was my answer, but I really miss just laying out at the pool, even though I swim every day and I'm at a pool, I miss just laying out at that adult pool and letting the world pass by mm. and, or just sitting on the, on our porch, uh, on the veranda and watching the sea go by. Love, 
love that longer uh, cruise to um, Cozumel because you spend a whole day each way just looking at the isle, island of Cuba off in the distance and, and thinking about what life might be like on that, uh, on that in, in the very remote sections of that island because there's so much of it. And I just, th that feeling the time passed away, which is an interesting notion because we've been kind of held up. We've been kind of forced to kind of sit back and, and be more thoughtful, more reflective in the last eight months. And yet there's some, it, I, I miss something about that experience that is even more, uh, reflective even more uh it's just it, it, it is a more emotive experience for me than um just sitting at my desk at home or you know reading a book in bed um there's something different about that cruise ship experience that makes you makes you feel all that and more so. well and i think too and it's a and I, I think it also depends a lot on how you typically vacation um but i think that like the cruising experience a lot of times just naturally forces you, I'm using air quotes that nobody can see, but usually forces you to kind of a vacation in a way that you don't normally vacation. For example, when mm -hmm. we go to the theme parks, when we go to visit Walt Disney World, um, we don't really often do dress up meals. Maybe once we'll, you know, I'll put, I'll put khakis and a polo on to go out to eat, but typically, <laughs> I mean, really, typically you're yeah. in the park, it's let's go get something to eat before we head back for the night and you're in whatever you've been that whole day, where when you are on the cruise line every single night, our family gets dressed up. Let's let's get back to um, you know, let's get back to the room. Everybody, you have to be dressed and down at dinner by this time. And the kids get not dressed up fancy like we're not wearing tuxes or anything. We don't get that formal even on 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 formal night. But that experience, I just think is kind of cool because I don't know, it feels like what I imagined, um, you know, old time luxury cruising to be like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I've, many times I have gone on a cruise and I didn't have that veranda, but being out on that fourth floor shuffle deck, you know, in a, in a little wooden lounge chair right there, uh, just enjoying the views of the sea from there uh, is, is enjoyment enough so well clearly more to come in the days months weeks ahead more announcements from disney but unfortunately it is going to be a few more months before anybody jumps aboard that ship and um we'll keep everyone posted as we have more developments but uh but i think this is a good moment to kind of say okay what's ahead and boy david if if you're looking to go in 21 at some point, maybe it's late spring, maybe it's summer, maybe it's that fall cruise. Uh, what do you recommend at this point? I, uh, I, I, th I think that what I'm seeing from clients is a lot more people are probably feeling comfortable when we start to get into the summer um, and the fall, mm. uh, just because I think that they think things will be a little, we'll have some more clarity by then. Um, and that's entirely possible that that's true. Uh, the nice thing is, is Disney is offering, and it keeps changing, but Disney is offering pretty flexible cancellation policies, which don't typically happen usually with Disney. 
when you make your final payment, which is between three and four months, depending on when you're sailing um, uh, away from sailing, that's when you make your, that's when you pay in full. Uh, and at that point, it's pretty hard to get out of it without some kind of travel protection or something like that. They're allowing cancellations until right up close to the cruise. So mm. if you think you're interested to try, um, you know, contact me, uh, Zanola, my last name at, at otdtravel.com. Jeff can, can list it on his site. We'll have the um, link. But uh, it's kind of a, if you're willing to try and you think you might sail if things are comfortable, uh, might not be a bad idea to put a deposit down to lock in your pricing because as the cruise ships fill, Disney is a line where the costs of the cruises go up. Uh, and so uh, early pricing is typically always better than you're going to find closer to the cruise, at least in most respects. And so uh, and it might not only, be bad to, to, to take a chance. And if only a fraction are cruising compared to a full complement on the ship, you're going to want to get in sooner than later because those ships will fill up much faster than they have ever before, given given a reduced amount, which will be a kind of a treat in of itself to yeah. just have this ship a little bit more to yourself. I don't think I've ever been on a really... Most ships are pretty full every time I get on them. So yeah. the idea of being on one where it's just kind of a little quieter, not a bad idea either. So, David, thank you so much for uh, joining this evening and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Well, this concludes our Disney at Play podcast. We're so glad that you could join us. And our special thanks to David Zanola of Out the Door Travel. Make sure you check on him. If we have him in the show notes to reach out to, to plan any of your travel needs, or just kind of think through what might be the possibilities of your next vacation. We are really glad that you joined us here. Make sure if you have a chance, go out to iTunes. If you feel good about this podcast, please share it with others. Please uh, give us a good rating if possible or possibly a good um, review. We appreciate anybody's efforts to, to help spread the news of this podcast as we um, enjoy more and more opportunities to be there with you. Again, thanks for being with us in this podcast. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.